everyone. Welcome. Thank you very much for coming to Chat Talks. Um, taking a few summer evening to come with us. Thank you very much. This is the final talk of our third full season of Bad Talks. Um, for those of you who are new, Bad Talks is a quarterly panel discussion that we do um, with industry experts on topics that are difficult uh, to talk about in the traditional networking settings that uh, we all, events and settings that we all go to um, in what feels like all of our free time. So uh, tonight is our tonight's our final final topic. We have a, a fantastic topic tonight. A great panel here to talk about it. What we are beginning to do now is set the schedule for our next season, which will kick off in the fall. Um, and Bad Talks, when we started out uh, and created the, this sort of community that we've that we've been building over the past three years, the goal was to have the topics be um, sort of self-sustaining and, and continuing. So we're always open to suggestions and we're looking for um, topics to discuss next season. So to submit one um, or to put in an idea, visit our website, which is badtalks.com. Um, you can also see Bad Talks on all the various social channels and all that kind of stuff. Um, so visit us online, let us know what you'd like for us to set up a panel about. And, uh, Let's get going. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, everybody. My name is Kyle Tucker. I'm the editor-in-chief of New England Home Magazine. And uh, we were very honored three years ago uh, when Paul Wright and Linda Kochman of Kochman Wright & Hague and John from United Marble came to us uh, with this idea of doing talks for people in the industry uh, because a lot of what we discuss in the magazine obviously is showing the fruits of what you guys do all the time. Um, but these kinds of purely industry things are a way for us to kind of give back and be part of the industry that we cover in the magazine. Um, and that for us is a wonderful thing. So I was very, I'm very delighted to always have the chance to work with such wonderful professionals um, in, on both sides of the uh, table here. Um, tonight's bad talk is kind of interesting because it grew in some ways out of the talk that we just had back in April for Design Week. And that evening at the Sam Adams Brewery over in Jamaica Plain, we actually were talking about kind of assembling and working with design and construction teams for big residential projects from the client's point of view. Uh, and so it was very much geared toward that. Uh, tonight, we're essentially talking about more or less the same topic, but we're talking about it from within the team of professionals. So the client is still very much an element of what we're going to be dealing with and talking about. But we're also talking about, you know, for the professionals who may end up working together in various groupings with a lot of different clients over the years um, and in a lot of different groupings of themselves, um, what are the dynamics, what are the ways of kind of working together on these big complex projects where you can do the best job for the client, keep yourself happy from a design perspective, keep yourself happy from a business perspective, maybe actually make a little money out of it, um, and really have the most productive collegial relationship where everyone feels included and able to make their best contribution. Um, and so tonight we have a wonderful group of people to talk about this. We don't have clients tonight, 
so we can be you know, as cruel as we'd like or as honest as we like um, or as complimentary as we like because it works all these ways. Um, we also have a wonderful landscape architect, Joe Waller from Stephen Stimson Associates, who has worked probably with a number of the people in this room. Uh, wonderful builder, Jeff Adams from JW Adams Construction based out of Concord, Mass. Jennifer Palumbo, an interior designer based in Newton, but who I know has worked with some of the people in this room and probably will be working with more. And finally, Jerry Frank from Bechtel Frank Erickson Architects in Lexington who has also, again, been involved in many residential projects of this sort. So, just to jump in, since I've already talked too much, um, first thing that happens is a team is assembled or appears out of thin air in some fashion. What are the ways that can happen? Anybody who wants to jump in, what are the ways you think are the best for that to happen? How do you work with that? Well, I'll start. Uh, I find these projects interesting in many ways because we're often an ad hoc team that's assembled by the client. We're selected individually because of research they've done or recommendations they've had. But there's no leadership structure. So we're all sort of coming to the table with um, goals and services that we want to provide the client. But, there, but there's no structure that helps us sort of weave through the, the pattern. Um, and our goals are different sometimes. We, we had a chance to speak briefly yesterday that an architect's goal on a project might be to be sure that the project is built by the builder the way it was intended. The builder's goals may be to be sure that the project stays on budget and on schedule and maybe a little bit of a profit margin. And those goals can be compatible, though. They're, they're both intended, ideally, to support the client. So in collaboration and mutual discussion, that hopefully is what we try to achieve. But it's challenging because there's no template that works, at least that I've seen, on, on every project. Well, this actually may be a little bit of a question aimed toward Jerry, uh, because something that has come up in the past, and maybe a, a, an older way of looking at things, but something I continue to hear from architects in certain parts of New England, uh, or architects above a certain age perhaps, is I basically, the architect's job is to work with the client, get the entire program done, get all of the drawings made, and then we bring on everybody else to help realize that vision. Right. Is that, how I, do you? I don't agree with that. I mean, I think that I, I think it really is, and I was sort of thinking to the answer to the first part of who should come first. I, I've worked in conditions where it's been any one of the, uh, my three colleagues here could have, you know, been brought a job, may have recommended us, we come together on it. Um, we like to form jobs and get the team up front. I, you know, I've, I've used the term as, you know, and, and, uh, Joe is happy that I'll say that. I hate when someone comes in, and Stephanie's had this experience, when someone says, oh, let's just shrub it up. You know, it just doesn't matter. And, and that's always appeared dumb to me. And I think having uh, the interior design before, it's the same idea. It's not just throwing a bunch of color and you know, doing that, but it's really helping import some ideas about the design and how the rooms are used and how the layouts are done. Um, you know, we work a lot with Kochman Wright Haig as well, and we like to get them in right at the beginning because, you know, there may be something instrumental that we've overlooked. And, and I definitely like the idea that 
you know, many heads are better than one. And it's, it's not just that it's my idea versus your idea versus his idea. It's, it's really coming together for the best design and everyone wins on it. Mm -hmm. so. And I think, I think the best projects are when everyone, there's, you know, sort of a clear division of labor up front. The attitudes are all in the right place and, you know, people are working towards a common goal. Um, and I think that's when the creativity flows really nicely. And I think we're working with very sophisticated clients these days. And I think, you know, they understand in m most cases the role that we can, that we all serve and what we can bring to the table. And I think by bringing that together cohesively and, and having an open collaborative environment and not being territorial on any number of things, um, the projects tend to be more dynamic and overall more successful. Well, I mean, in all of your experience so far, how often does it happen that the team is put together up front? Uh, is that becoming more common? Is it still unusual? I find on the large con new construction projects where it's sort of from the ground up, I think the team is often assembled earlier in those cases. Um, when you're working on, you know, renovations or, you know, partial construction projects, I don't think it's always, it, it's not always assembled as early. And we, we've really encouraged to get things up front, I mean, for a number of reasons. One is it helps set realistic goals on costs of project, uh, of thinking of different elements that have to be put in and thought of in people as they're planning their budgeting for projects. Um, to you know, set goals really clearly. I mean, we love having the contractor on board really early on too, because they can. You know, what, what I what I do is I usually refer to the last project I completed, what the costs were. That ain't necessarily the way things are. So having that input and that uh, some input as to how things go together and and you know how how construction might occur and you know sequencing, especially in renovation, is really critical. And and again, I. It really comes down to respect. I mean, that's what I think is the real critical thing is you set a tone of respect. It starts with the owner uh, to do that. But I think with all team members that, you know, our architects, especially in the old country, love to think that they knew everything about everything. And guess what? You can't. You know, it's, there's too much stuff out there to keep up with and be current with. So you really want to have other people that have expertise and that live and breathe each of the disciplines that, that we talk about here uh, to make the project sing. Because you all win at the end. I mean, it's not like one person wins and no one else does. Well, I mean, Joe, from your perspective, I mean, what are the pros for getting the landscape people into the scheme very yeah. early on, right. not we've, only from your perspective, but even kind of what right. benefits are there for the other members of the team that way. Yeah, we've been fortunate to work with uh, architects and designers, builders who really understand the um, critical aspects of landscape and, and bringing us in early. Most of our work I was talking earlier is from referral. And so, you know, architects that we tend to work with or contractors who we have worked with on pre previous projects really understand the value that we can bring to understanding different siting aspects, getting the grading and the building married well. I think landscape though is one of those aspects of the project where we're not really working directly over other professionals where the architect and designer are working within the same spaces. So sometimes landscape tends to be a little bit on the periphery of the thing and in one of those professions that can kind of be um, postponed to some degree. So I think 
you know, we've worked in both aspects, but we found the greatest synergy when we're brought in early. We can talk with the architects, the builders, the designers about, you know, flipping the program, trying to really think in, in bigger bubble diagrams about how, uh, you know, siting of, of different exterior and interior programs can relate versus, um, you know, sun aspects and time of day and all that occupation. So I think, you know, we really appreciate when we're brought in early. I agree in many ways. It's wonderful when a builder comes in early, but it's fairly common in projects that an architect might be involved in schematic design, if nothing else. But then when a builder can be brought on after the, the basic project has been vetted with a client and a builder can be brought in during design development, right. it's a wonderful opportunity for real collaboration because we're all creative and every now and then you might run across a builder who thinks they can design it better than an architect. Not very often, but every now and then. But when you're invited to come in early on in the project when the final construction drawings aren't done, that's when real collaboration can take place. And we can each use our experience and offer it as alternatives. I, I know value engineering is somewhat maligned, but it's helpful. You might have in schematic design two or three options, and as you suggested, then there's skin in the game for the builder to be involved because now you're offering a, an approximate schedule for scheme A versus scheme B and rel associated costs. And then, then we're sort of all in it together providing a service for the client. Well, kind of continuing on this uh, heading and also to address a, a point you brought up earlier is when you do have a collaborative team that gels and comes together early, how do you work out sort of who's kind of running the show just in general terms? I mean, do you have to actually talk out, okay, we're having meetings now, who's gonna take the minutes, who's gonna invite the client, or I mean, do you, or does somebody naturally gravitate into that role? How does that happen? I think for us, um, you know, we, I think we talked a little bit about this before, that uh, regular meetings are critical, but um, I think that, and projects I've been involved with, each professional kind of plays a joint role in that. I, I haven't found, I mean, obviously, most of our projects come from architect referral, and the architect tends to have a uh, longer-term relationship with the client. So to some degree, they're the de facto lead on the project. But when the scope or the discussion is related to landscape, we really kind of take the lead on that. I think that is, is typical of the designers, the builders. We're kind of all jointly making notes or making minutes and coordinating some behind the scenes as well without the client. So I think a well-developed team has multiple layers of communication. It's not this kind of hierarchical structure. It is. I, I oftentimes feel like you know the architects take the lead sometimes early on, and then once construction starts, you know the builders are sort of working towards a timeline, and then you know they're starting to lead some of the discussion and the agenda items at various meetings and things. Right. Yeah, I mean, you did mention when we talked yesterday briefly about that you were very much in favor of having quite regular meetings with all of the stakeholders there. I think it's extremely helpful. Um, I think it helps with the cohesiveness of the team. I think it helps with creativity. I think it alleviates, you know, any sort of animosity or he, should, he said, she said, or they, people who have different ideas and they're sort of talking to the client offline. I feel like it, it takes a lot of that away so that there can be true exchange of ideas and you know, voicing of opinions and things. And I think that's when the team sort of starts to gel too. Right. 
Yeah, and I don't think it has to be only one way that it works. I mean, because sometimes there's a long-standing relationship that an owner has with the contractor or the owner has had with the interior designer, and I've worked in that way as well. And again, if, if you set the, it's not ground rules so much, but if you set the tone, is this is how we're going to communicate, here's how you know, we're going to work and rely on each other. You know, if, if, you know, if you're going with a client down to the design center to you know, go through ANSACs, do I need to come along for that? Probably not. And so, you know, there, I mean, I'm interested, I'd like it, or if we're you know, tagging trees or something, maybe I'm not. You know, you just, it, it, there's some kind of common sense as to when it's appropriate. I mean, it's good that I know that it's happening. It's good that we you know, kind of get in there. But again, that's something that, that, that the, the design, the whole team, design construction team, works out is it's a kind of way of how you treat one another and and it's got to be conveyed and taught to the owner because they don't know right. they may not know that that's a really good way to, to get things out get things down early on so we get a, a whole sense of what a project budget is and what the schedules are all about those kind of critical things right. when we sign a contract with a client the very first thing we do is request that they set aside we all set aside a time every week with the client and we ask them what morning or afternoon will work for you and, and request generally the husband or wife or both when possible. Because in our situation, many of the questions come from the builder, questions about documentation. We routinely step in and we, so I develop on our projects an agenda. We send it out ahead of time. It's just like all meetings I'm sure all of us have been on. And then we keep the minutes as well which is a little self-serving because you control, you control the information. When, but nobody likes keeping the minutes or developing the agenda, but, but it's a terrific way to just sort of follow through. And it's, we do mostly listening at the site meetings, but um, we, we develop a lot of the questions and so on, and it's really helpful. Well, does anybody here want to share any thoughts about experiences you've had in these situations about you know, ways that you think it's good for teams to evolve or structures that you've found that work well? John? Yeah. You guys are speaking my mantra about the team developing early and the benefit of that and how we can collaborate. Um, help the architect with pricing and exploring different avenues, steer the ship the right way. We're, we're up against <coughs> the same problem or challenge, which is you know the owner not feeling that at the end they're getting the best value. And so if they go to a firm that will develop a complete set of architecturals, a complete set of specs, and set it up for hard bid, you know, will their job cost 10 or 20% less? You know, good question. Right. I don't know. Um, what I know is that our, probably our most successful projects in the end are the ones where we brought the whole team together early on. There may have been an early bid selection process that happened. Um, the client felt a good fit. They brought us on, and they brought in a landscape architect, whoever, whoever started first, you know, the teams assembled. And then we work on together, and there's a level of trust that's developed. And they learn from our other clients that, yeah, we're honest, we're trustworthy, we're open book. Um, in the end, though, it's a challenge for us as builders. When we're, when we're asked to price a really enticing job, that's all documented, there might be 100 pages of architecturals and a 200-page spec. And, um, you know, in the end, um, you, it's, it's a difficult, it's a complicated process. It's a different process. 
um, I think there's merits to both, but I, you know, our, our goal is certainly this collaborative approach where we sort of assemble the team early on. But I can understand the client's perspective of feeling, you know, maybe putting pressure on the architect saying, is this the best way we should do this? We're putting a lot of faith in your recommendation. Right. Um, well, in some architects, so I, I think. I'm sort of, I'm saying this like the devil's advocate. Of course, the best situation for us is when we're brought in <coughs> early. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've heard architects also sometimes say that they feel a certain kind of professional need or they, they feel it's part of the service they offer the client to oversee that process and make sure that they get the most cost-effective and yet good quality outcome. I mean, do you? Well, I think, you know, I think what's interesting about, you know, actually there's another thought came in, I'd love to ask people about it. you've had owner's reps uh, on, on residential. Mm -hmm. That's really, that's a whole, I didn't think of it yesterday, but I thought of it today and I would love that's to talk good, about that. That's a very good point. Of having a, a, yet a third party to make sure that all the kids are playing nicely with each other. <laughs> but. And to your comment, which you know, which is valid, um, I think that what I what I find is my responsibility. If, I, if someone had known me, is to give them you know my views about, hey, you know, there's more than one way to do a project, and sometimes the solution comes out because of what they, as the owners, are wanting to do. I, you know, it was a project I had a few years ago where they were, the couple had moved from California, they were living here, living at the in-law's house, and so they wanted to be out like yesterday into this house. So the notion of, you know, there was a house, we were totally gutted, renovated it. Um, time was of the essence. So I said, well, okay, so there are ways, there's the, the, you know, the bid going out, or there's another, and just explain options to them. You have an option that we could, you know, and you know, I, I definitely agree with you, Jeff, is we came up with kind of a schematic idea, like this is where this project's headed in terms of number of rooms, where we're we going, where, where we're, you know, doing demo, all that kind of stuff. And you have an option in this schematic to get a feel for, the for a few contractors. It wasn't a hard bid, like saying yeah, we're going to over GMP thing, but you know, a, a sense of how someone would come to the team, think about it, do that. What, what that saved was a huge amount of time because it was easily another month, month and a half, you know, to go bid it and you know, do reconciliation more and do more. that. <coughs> exactly, more. And the, the point, and you know, Jeff made it, is the advantage was also is that the contracting team felt vested in the project. They cared. You know, they knew what the hot button issues were and you know, why the bathroom had to be off here and not over there, you know, that kind of stuff. The, the so chemistry that's is so important when you put the right people together. Totally. And I think if you establish the playing field as being, in, I mean, in our case, it's an open book playing field. Right. So if they've picked you because they feel like it's a good fit and it's open book, right. then it's to the client's best advantage. And then I feel like the contractor is actually act, acting as the owner's rep in a way. Right. You, know, right. you don't need a third party owner's rep. The right. contractors, you know, fielding all these prices, all these, you know, subcontractor bids, vendor bids, presenting them, you right. act collectively as a team, you make decisions together, right. you streamline the decision to go very quickly. Right. Um, it's the best uh, scenario in that. Yeah, no, and, and if the you know, and if I'm not acting as a prima donna about you know something, oh my God, you're you're thinking something differently on it, but you know, roll up sleeves and figure out, yeah. you know, we know that there's no such thing as a perfect set of documents. Sorry, I, can, I confess, you know, there it just isn't. It's no perfection does not exist. So the thing is, it's what do you do about it? You sit there and, and 
try to, and you figure it out. Or you call, I get a call, and, and that's the part I like. Construction is less of being the watchdog as it is that, hey, something's come up, or there's, you know, you know, there's a major plumbing stack going on here. What do we do about? What can we do? What are our options? How do we figure out? And and that's what you do. It's 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 collaborating on it. And when there's that rapport and a challenge comes up like that, it's really nice to be able to interact with the other professionals on the job and say, okay, here's three solutions, before bringing the client in to you know, right. describe what needs to happen. I think that actually brings us very naturally to uh, another topic, which is once you have the idea that there is this team and collaboration going on, how do you work out, or do you actually physically work, or I mean, uh, kind of upfront work out the areas where different members of the team legitimately have kind of overlapping concerns and control, um, such as who's specking the tile in the bathroom, right. or who's doing the lighting plan, or things like that. We would, I mean, we'd get on the phone and we would talk to Jen, or we'd sit down, you know, you know, early, and again, early in the project, the successful projects where we've had interior design is, you know, the two of us would sit down in a room and talk about where the project's headed, what do we think, where do we see this? You know, or same thing with the landscape. It's like, you know, rather than it being sort of, you know, just done to the houses, how this, how do they complement one another? And, you know, the, the, the structure needs to complement the landscape and vice versa. So, you know, I, th I think you just, you really try to work it through. And I think what it does, the other great benefit to doing that is when you go back to the client, you have a united front. You know, it's sort of like there's comfort, in, you know, not only power in numbers, but comfort like, oh, these guys are thinking about it. You know, I don't have to worry about it because, you know, the big issue is always control and relinquishing control from a client's point of view that this is going to get out of control. So it's, it's all you can do that really points to that we're communicating, we're talking, and we're figuring it out because we have your best interests at heart. And that's the bottom line, and it goes awry when that breaks down, when you don't have that conversation, right. when all of a sudden the client feels that they're the referee. Oh, yeah. Be between the lighting that you'd prefer and the lighting that was designed and the builders already installed it. And that's, well, that's a disservice to our clients when we let it dissolve into that. And whether it's a conversation behind the scenes right. or somehow working that out. Clients rarely, in my experience, provide that leadership structure to say, okay, you can make this decision and you can make that. Yeah, it's won't. unfortunate when that happens. So well, we try I, to work it out amongst ourselves. Here's my first negative dig on, on some clients. And I've, had, I've had a client, you know, wonderful house on, on Martha's Vineyard, and the client did not want to relinquish the role. They wanted to be in the middle and fiddle and diddle around, you know, and not really communicate about it. And, you know, the, you know felt it incumbent to say, hey, you know, the, the best way that this works is if we're talking together, we're on the same page, and you're not kind of playing around. or getting, you know, making changes behind everyone's back on it, which I love that. Uh, and especially, well, no, what happens is they, they make changes, we get into trouble, and then I get a call, like, oh my god, we're in trouble, what do I do? You know, kind of thing, and I go, well, you know. <laughs> Let's go back. Oh, it's totally right. I want to overstate it, but those yeah. are the things you hope to come up because yeah. you absolutely there's do. this whole risk of absolutely. privileged conversation that right. sometimes it's when the builder's on the right. site and I they're seeing the, the builder. Client. You guys see the client almost every right. day, right? Right. Depending on the client, and you know, I think that's where the designers are a little bit at a disadvantage. I've been on a project on the vineyard as well, where I probably was was there every ten days, as much right. as you know, needed for the landscape at that point, but I'd show up and the builder and this client at that point had 
you know, conceived of all these new right. ideas, this and right. that, changing materials, and you know, it's hard not to be frustrated in that situation yeah. where you know the whole design has been unraveled and you know you were only away from the project for a week. You and know, the client, you, the yeah. builder, had no idea what the final product was necessarily. Right, but right. They Within the whole, they were right, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. So, yeah. Well, this actually touches on a, a kind of an underlying issue that um, we haven't specifically addressed either on the call yesterday or today, which is sort of. You know, it's tacitly assumed that the client, in some important way, is leading the project and is in charge. And a lot of these are clients who are very used to running things in their own life or in their own company, but that doesn't mean they actually know how this kind of project works. And so as a team, I mean, do you, is it sort of being together, does that give you more kind of educational leverage to help them be better project managers well, if that's their role? I think they are in charge because they're paying all of us. So I think <laughs> technically they're in charge. So, but I think if there's, if there's respect amongst the team members and there's an understanding that the client chose each of these people for a specific reason and clearly holds them with high regard for each of the disciplines, I think, you know, it, takes a lot, you know, most of the overlap with designers and is with designers and architects on the interiors and, you know, who's designing the bathrooms and vanities and cabinetry and all of those sorts of things. And I feel like when there's sort of an open dialogue and it, it's also different on every project because some projects, you know, the designer has a long-standing relationship with the client or the architect has a long-standing relationship with the client. A lot of times that sort of relationship hierarchy sort of also helps with the division of labor. And I think if it's articulated and discussed early, I think it just gets a lot of that out of the way and then you, you come away with sort of an action item list that you, everyone feels good about and we can go about our business and a lot of the feelings and things kind of just dissipate. Yeah. Right. I, I think, you know, sometimes things, yeah, I've, I've had clients go rogue where they felt like, you know what, I'm going to save a whole bunch of dollars. You know, I don't need you to come during and look at, during yeah. construction on it. <laughs> but I'm going to say. So yeah. clients will say that. I know, I definitely, like, why, <laughs> am I, what am I, why do I, why do I, why are they? You're here, you can handle it. Exactly. Right. And, and that's, it's, again, it, that's, that goes back to the ultimate issue of respect. And that's where I think the education part comes in is like, look, ultimately, and it's sometimes, it's, you know, I, I explain it, and, and good clients really get it, is you're going to save by having these mm -hmm. people on board now, because they're not going to be... Throughout the project. Throughout the project, and certainly and ultimately in the end. It's not that we're here, you know, looking to, you know, pinch your, you know, pick your pocket, you know, on it every chance, but, you know, we really, really all have the same best interests at heart. And, you know, and ultimately, if you, you know, have to undo things, that's very expensive, you know, because it's not the way you wanted it or things didn't fit. I think that's a really good point. We should all drive home. Like, we need to chip in for each other. I, I hear that all the time. Oh, God. Clients that are on the, on the edge about architectural services. Well, we've gone this far. Do we really need them now? Like, yes, we do. They need yeah. to show up every right. week and yeah. attend the meeting. Right. And even if it's a short meeting, if it's an hour, if it's fine, right. they will offer something that is for the benefit of your Right, and there will be problems that come up that require a right. solution. To well, and that. again, and the reason for having the teams earlier, I mean, I've been on projects where the interior design came way too late, way too late on the project. And, you know, there were some things that were, you know, just weren't 
you know, really either carefully thought out, you know, relative to, you know, how they envision varnishing something or, and again, it would have been caught earlier. And, you know, to have to demo a wall or redo lighting in the ceiling is a cheap. And you can do that. And I feel the same way about landscape is you can, you know, really flush out things earlier on. It's just gonna, it's just gonna make it a lot easier and a lot clearer. Uh, it helps the design from all the different disciplines gear appropriately once we kind of have a view. If you talk about budgets at the beginning of the project, not at, you know, uh, you know, cross your fingers and hope that it comes in, but just be open about it and honest. Like this is where we want to be. This is how we do it. And, and, and how let's cool figure is it out. this process, though? Because we're we're all creative artisans at, at some level, different experiences, different advice, and we're being asked to solve problems right. for a client. And each each problem is different. Each project's a little bit different. <coughs> so when everybody's involved, and I completely agree with the CA question, there are there's a misconception among some clients that the architect's sort of done. So let's save that cost, but it is a disservice, again, not to involve them in continuing meetings and that sort of thing because um, you understand the whole process right. and there, there are little things like the landscaping story you talked and so on. So, but, but it's cool and we're all invited to offer advice because we're providing service to the client. Theoretically, we're providing them information to make an informed decision. Yeah. I don't need the builder until I'm done with the architect. I don't need the interior designer until like I'm almost done building. And I certainly don't need the landscape guy until like it's almost finished. So that's your natural inclination. But there's also there's also times where it's yes, you can bring in an interior designer too late. So there's bring them on as early as possible or it's too late. So what's the what is are there guidelines for what are the best times to really advocate with the client, especially one who's who doesn't want to pay to have four people from four different companies plus somebody else or a couple more at these site meetings every week. So, when are the what are the guidelines? You know, I think so. Bringing people on board early doesn't mean that you know we're joined at the hip and we do everything together all the time and you know are drawing together, sleeping together. I mean, we're not, you know, I mean, we, we do. And, and again, they're, right? It, I mean, there there are points, but I think. Setting the tone at the beginning is correct. I mean, you know, we got, you know, Paul came, Paul Wright came to a meeting very early on in our schematic design on the project. Part of it is I wanted to see if the kitchen made any sense, the way we're drawing it up. You know, and it turns out he thought it was pretty good. You know, he made a few great comments on it so we could tweak it. Right. <laughs> well, we have, we have that other little issue, <laughs> but he'll be back. But you know, so but the thing is, he's not coming at, at every single meeting on it. But it was great having that input early. Same thing. We have the interior design. I'm sorry, wasn't you? We hadn't met yet. Um, come in early on. Again, she hasn't like picked furniture and done colors in, but she's seeing the idea of where we are and where we're starting on it. There will be periods when it comes in and comes into play logically. And again, she will do the, the trip to you know, select appliances and really talk about some of the pieces on it. So I, I don't think there's a one size fits all on it, but I, I love the idea of setting the tone, setting the table really early, that this is, makes a lot of sense. And then you know, it, it, it's a little bit organic about and, and sensible as to when it's appropriate that we're all together versus yeah. some of that. And during construction, I do like you know, that, that everyone knows, hey, there's a meeting. It's Tuesday morning, 10 AM. 
you know, we're going to be there. And if there are any issues, subs can be there to ask questions. And you know, that I think is really worthwhile on it. And and, and if everybody's on board, it's an available resource. Totally. So there may be early on, there may be issues you yeah. don't necessarily, but you're copied on meeting minutes. Right. And you're available right. if something comes up where your input's valuable. And right. so, that, so getting that team, that's sort of our job to advocate that. And, and I think that we'd yeah, agree for a client. Say. But I was, yeah. Yeah, I I was gonna say that the professionals that are already in the group know when I think that another you know, professional is required to help. And you know, I think we've all been privileged to have those opportunities where we have these long-term relationships and, and architects know when you know the landscape would benefit from from our eyes and I think we we do a lot of early sketching with architects whether we end up working on the project or not you know kind of just to test some boundaries give them ideas and then you know I think that happens across the board so I think it's I also think it's up to the professionals that are in the project early to educate the client on Probably. the necess you know it's essential to have the team together and why you need these different people and it's not that they're all going to be together at every meeting I mean that's that's not the case but just even the interview process of like oh well we need an interiors person well there's a lot of background work that you know the client's probably going to want to talk to a couple different people and then also once the interiors person is on there's work that the client and the interiors person need to do to understand the aesthetic of the house too so there's things that can happen client only and then as a team and and it's not that we all have to be at every meeting and right. waste you time that, uh, utilizing the lean structure where you've got the three-week look ahead, you have the lean work structure where you're breaking projects down and problems. Do you bring on the client and ever discuss the lean kind of method with the client to help bring them on and really get them to buy into the schedule as well as all your subs where you're building the project backwards so that you know which event is gonna influence the next and you avoid some of those clashes? I'm not familiar with that. Well, and I, have, we have not, I haven't used the specific term, yeah. but what you've described is something that clients love because the idea of trying to get a sense of what's happening when is really important. So as much as you can have a schedule out, because that's always a question, when is this going to be done, when can I move in, you know, kind of thing. So that, that part is really, really, I think, very important. So in that, in that respect, it's great. I, I, I think it is great, and I think it, again, it gives a real confidence level to the owners to know, like, okay, you guys are thinking about it. It's not just, you know, we're not just shooting from the hip here. And it also establishes accountability for the various right. trades. So I know, you know, when I look at a schedule, what's needed when, so that we're prepared for that. And if there is a slip in schedule, everyone knows sort of why. <laughs> And it's very transparent, and the client right. can understand what's happening. And then I feel like they accept it a little bit right. better if there's the knowledge. Some builders dislike the whole schedule part of things. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but sure. we've, we've found, but for better or worse. And, and, it's, and it's organic. It, it, well, it, it is, it and, it's, and, it and it's dynamic and right. all those kinds of things. But our experience has been um, put it on the agenda every week. 
So there's some scheduled Absolutely. discussion every week Absolutely. because it's so much easier to understand it and present that than a month down the road when all mm -hmm. of a sudden the topic is, ooh, we've slipped right. by a couple of weeks yeah. or, right. Right. or we forgot to tell you the tile was due right. Right. next right. week or, you know, those kinds of things. Well, I so. like the slippage because it helps us on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> Dime line. It sounds like in the old days something we used to call critical path management. Oh, yeah. Which was sort of like right. Kind of avoiding that slingshot effect where you've got trades on site, trades off site, you know, maybe you're waiting on the MEP guy right, to get right. in, you're waiting on your electrical so you can get your rough end, where you pace out the project so that maybe you have the prefabricated MEPs back at the shop, show up in section, you've got one guy installing, whereas you can kind of keep that flow. And we've actually found on our end that we've uh, profited a little bit more, about 20% more by using the lean method up front and early and throughout the project where we hold subs accountable to the weekly meeting on Monday that says we're going to get X amount done and we can hold them to that deadline and know where the slippage is come the next Monday morning meeting. Well, to follow up a little bit on our previous, uh, a little bit more on the, the what we, where we were headed, I think, in those times when you don't necessarily have your ideal situation, mm -hmm. and this I think will be especially for Joe and Jen, you know, when you do find yourselves brought into a project later than you would like, are there recommended ways that you would have of handling that? Or does it alter the way you work in those cases? Um, well, it, it happens, and I think just understanding and respecting the process that has already unfolded that you have not been a part of is very important to understand. So I think it's it becomes a disadvantage to the overall project if you know I'm brought in late and I'm trying to reinvent all these things that have already been designed and decided upon and it sort of blows the process up. Um, so I, I think you know it's just understanding ourselves what's already been established and working and doing the best we can for the client's goals within that framework versus you know coming in a lot earlier when you actually have you know some real creative input on how that house can develop right. i just would probably hold back you know a little bit on you know some of that creativity that's already been established because it, I don't think it's helpful at that point. Yeah. I mean, do you have an analog to this? I think that, you know, as a professional coming in, you you would speak up if you know it's something that's, you know, relatively routine or easy to change at that point. I think what I'm saying is you, you probably don't want to come in and upset the apple cart when it's a major item, whether it's time, cost, and unless the client felt, like, incredibly strongly about it and you knew that. Um, so I think it's, it's just having a degree of 
tact on understanding how far to go and when to pull back and still achieve what the client is looking for. Yeah, I was going to say, I think every project has constraints. And I think that there are constraints when you start early in a project. There are zoning, there's you know flood elevations. There's a lot of constraints. So I think whether you're in early figuring out all that through due diligence and figuring out what's possible or coming in later maybe when floor plans and elevations have started to establish and you notice some things, what we'll do at that point is kind of get an understanding a different level of due diligence, I think, at that point. Kind of understanding what the goals were, how it's intended, and if there's an opportunity through a quick sketch to say if we you know, just did this subtly or can you drop the threshold at that door is really going to help here or there. I think, like you alluded to, it's, it's maybe more subtle stuff. You're not doing yeah. the big right. broad strokes and, and really and think, working yeah. on diagrams. Yeah, and I think the dialogue with the team, especially in that situation, is critical because I would then engage with the builder and the architect and you know, say, what about this before you know, presenting something more fully? That, that I think is really critical. I mean, I, I, again, I, I sort of hit back to the respect issue. I mean, I think two things is one is it helps to set, clarify kind of where you are, what's what going on, what the what the lay of the land is. So like setting up a game of Monopoly, you want a set of rules and, you know, things that it, this is how, how to play on it. But I, I've been on projects where the interior design came late, uh, later than we liked, but there was a really great idea. And so what the way that we work to handle it is like, okay, let's get everyone together. Let's find out what the cost implication is. Let's talk to the owner show them why we're thinking about this. And it's, it's empowering the owners to you know, feel that, again, they're part of the process. We're not doing it to them, but we're bringing it up in a way that we would be, as you were pointing out, we'd be irresponsible by not presenting something that we think is a really good idea. And then you know, we can see if there's an implication or if there's a way to save elsewhere, it may be fully worthwhile. And it was in a case that I have that there was, you know, a change, you know, in, in related, you know, to you know, a double height space or just, you know things that did that. It, it wasn't that huge a cost thing to do it. But again, we were respectful of the owner and their and their finances, but felt we wanted their opinion and say this is what we're thinking and this was a great idea. And sorry that we didn't have it earlier, but so be it. Even now on a smaller project where 
the design has kind of done the concept, and now they're saying, well, you know, what, you know, what, I don't like that molding. This is the molding, I, you know, I want it to look like this molding, and I'm saying, wait a minute, I told you, we're good executors, we're not the designers, we need to push back and get some input. Well, you know, she's only part-time now, uh, you know, I can't, so you gotta come up with it, and you know, we just, and so it's kind of like trying to show mutual respect for the team, right. even though the team's not together all the time, you know, how do we, how do we stay together in that, in that type of uh, arrangements, you know, for all those types of things, whether it's details, budget, timeline, um, as that responsibility shifts, and again, day to day, they're seeing you know the builder on the job, not the architect right. at that at that point. Yeah. Um, so, I wonder how you guys handle those things. I was I was just talking to a landscape contractor on the vineyard, and and this time of year, you know, we've got our Memorial Day deadlines, and we got yeah. our Fourth of July deadlines. Sure. And yeah. He yeah. was relating a story, you know, early in the project, the client was interested in lowering the budget. So a lot of scope got taken out, and, and as they moved through this project, he's, the client's coming back and adding in all this scope that was taken out, but no consideration of adding more time into the schedule, which is, you know, I think we, we have those hard conversations about money a lot, but we don't always acknowledge the impact that it'll have on the overall schedule and really trying to project out the extra time that this change or that has on the impact. Because I think you're, you're exactly right, the client has this goal in their mind and everything that happens has no real impact on that goal or that deadline. Yeah. What's the money in the schedule side? We all want this beautiful project to really come fruition. And so you know, we all have that goal in mind, which I think is great, but these are the pieces that are real important mm -hmm. that you know someone ends up being kind of responsible for being right. later over budget right. and so forth. And you don't want to pull the architect out of the bus uh, right. so to yeah. speak or the designer, but those those pieces come later in the process typically you know, on a I've developed kind of a nifty little thing in, in our practice. I mean, because there are a number of times where people say, well, you know, I, during the construction, I don't really need you anymore. So what I do is I go back and prepare a letter from them that releases and told us, you know, good little legal jargon that says, we are not responsible what happens here <laughs> basically and, and I make them sign it and they have to sign it say you know what if, if you're gonna do that I totally get it I totally understand you know that why are there limits and funds but however you know you uh, you can't you can't <coughs> sue us obviously but you can't you know even get that you know you are on your own good luck if with they that do what, if, they, if, they if, they, if they say that we don't want you know you're not going to come in during construction we can kind of handle this on our own you know, I, I go, I can't be responsible. I don't know you can make changes. I, how am I possibly, I mean, that's part of it. It's not even so much that, but you know, I mean, most communities, certainly not so much in residential, but that it may go that way. But any commercial project, you know, we have controlled construction affidavits. We have to swear to every municipality that, you know, we are looking at the drawings and what we're designing is what has been approved by the building department, you know, building departments. And so when that kind of, that's an eye opener to clients, they'll say, oh, okay. And I'll go, I totally get it. I totally get what you're gonna say money, but you know what? You know, you, when you start making your changes and start, you know, tinkering around in it, you may get into trouble. You raise a good point though, um, and changes can be good on a project. Change orders sure. aren't a bad thing necessarily. Absolutely. But we as a group focus on the cost implications. <laughs> but every change order has some implicit schedule change. And some of us miss that, and that's unfair to, so that the client doesn't necessarily understand that adding the landscaping back in now 
goes for another month or so. So we try to be diligent now to identify the cost and the schedule implication whenever we can. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, ultimately, all, all four or five you know, professionals are involved are, are working for the client, responsible to the client, and you know, the, the cost or the change isn't necessarily driven by me as the contractor. It could be driven by landscape. It could be driven by weather. I mean, who knows? Absolutely. Right. Play. Yeah. So how do we keep the team together with you know, you're kind of the architects to lead to begin with, the builder landscape might be you know, carrying it through to the end that the team can say, yeah, it is more money, it is more time, we've all got each other's yeah. you know, best interest at heart, but this is the reality of what, what's going yeah. on. So. In a sense, I think that's a subset of something that we referred to earlier, which is the idea of when communications are happening outside of the group, yeah. and when sort of the trust is being, yeah. I, get, I hate to use the word violated, but the trust is being stretched yeah. in some ways. And I, I mean, think, our, yeah, I, I think, you know, I. I feel for the builders, especially the client comes and walks through and is like, oh, I don't like that molding or I don't like that, you know, what can we do about it? I think that's the perfect time to say, well, why don't we get this on the agenda for our weekly meeting and we can talk about it as a team because I think those roundabout conversations always seem to get people in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, remember, you can find yourself in two different situations. One, the client is clearly coming to you and trying to start yeah. one of these conversations, or you realize that the client or some of the other team members are having one of these short-circuiting conversations. Yeah. Kind of as a member of the team, assuming that everybody is in good faith, how, what are some productive ways of dealing with that when you start to sense that communications are happening? Jerry offered, I thought you offered an interesting comment when we were talking yesterday. You said something to the effect of, Technology is not our friend. And, and, I, and what I interpreted, what I interpreted you meant age. by that, because we all email each other, so right. at some level we think, okay, the client's asked us to change the molding, I'll just email everybody else and we can walk away. But documents aren't a substitute for communication. Right. And sitting at a table, I've learned more from clients looking at the grimace when a topic, or a smile. Um, and that intonation. that intonation and so on doesn't come through in email and isn't a substitute. So one answer to that question I don't think is the right answer is, okay, the client said they want a different molding where we're putting a cove up instead, so I'm going to email everybody and walk away. That's not acceptable in my mind. I, I, I think, and I apologize ahead if this sounds really cheerleader-like, but that said, you know, I think karma is a really big thing. And, and who in this room has worked on a really tortured project with clients, <laughs> right? The project sometimes doesn't come out so great. And I really think there is something about the karma of how you do it. When you have, a, there should be, I mean, basically what we do is a really joyous thing. You're creating something. It's gonna last longer than any of us are gonna be around. You know, that's an amazing, you know, thing. That's one of the reasons I went into the field of architecture, being able to do that, is you're creating something. And it's, there's a real joy to it, and I really feel if you lose that, and it becomes this, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's. Exactly. Well, 
and you can take clients to task. I mean, I've done that. I can do it nicely, but you know, you basically can verbally slap them upside the head. And they, and we all need that in our lives. It's not just me. How many times have you wanted to do that to your architect? But you know, the the, the thing is, it's it's about anything. It, it's about relationships and being able to say, you know what, I don't think this is the right way to go about this. And you know, there is a way, and I think it's just really sitting down with it. It, it may be a hard conversation. They may disagree with you, but you know, you, they'll listen. I mean, you know, I, I really do think so. You I know, mean, if it's brought up in a way like I have, this is how I view having your best interests at heart. And I think what we're doing is a big mistake, and we got to think about that. And I think there are clients that don't want the harmonious. They think they, they are, are yeah. going to gain right. something from keeping all of us uh, kind of against each other. Right. And that's a tricky situation. So you can act that way, but you don't have to do it behind the scenes. You can still talk behind the scenes. Yeah. And sometimes it forces, yeah. Sometimes it forces the team to be closer. Yeah. In the smaller network, we tend to work with each other more than we'll ever work with that client again. Mm -hmm. So those relationships are critical in that you know, that, that um, leverage you have with one another to work to and maintain that relationship is, mm -hmm. is, is more important sometimes than the client relationship and having that respect, so. Yeah, I mean, that was the team put together where, you know, I may not have worked with this yeah. because I have so forth, and I found in a few situations, somebody self-elects out because they don't feel like they fit with the panel or the team or the, hmm. you can see the frustration in the, in the client, they don't know really where to go, and you almost gotta say, Right. I think or, that, yeah. yeah, that those are bad situations yeah. to be in. But I think most, you know, good professionals are going to understand, the, you know, the networking, the future relationship, and yeah. and respect for each other. And I think, you know, even if it is a new relationship, it's still a relationship that could, you know, grow into something much bigger. So. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, being the third designer in on a project, you're like, red flags are like, oh, what? <laughs> Something's going on. <laughs> you can always ask around yeah. and hear right. about these things, too. Uh, Allison, you had a question, and then we have one more in the back after that. So your comment about Bora, uh, I mean, Car Karma, got me thinking about Bora, which got me thinking about Paradigm. I don't know how all those tie together, but cool. when, I, when I sit in the, at these talks, I always think we're supposed to kind of do a little of this because that's what this allows for. And I feel very comfortable in the paradigm that we're talking about. And I feel like we're talking a little bit about an ideal of the paradigm that we're in, which gets me tipping into the possibility of a new paradigm. And I, um, I'm just curious for each of you if there would, would or could be something that we as a collective could shift about how we do this, what would that be? And since that's like the mega essay question, the, um, the thing for me as a builder, that paradigm shift is, how cool would it be if an architect said, you know what, Allison, this time this project is for you. Next time it's gonna be for Eric or Jeff or any, any of the other folks, right? But this time, this is a great fit, right? So that's what, that's what I'm talking, like, what can we do for 10 years from now or 20 years from now? Is there something that we can, as a collective, shift a little bit to make this work a little bit better? I would start with don't reward bad behavior. If someone, if someone is coming to you and, 
you know, bringing, you know, I mean, an owner, anyone, an architect, anyone kind of, you know, speaking or acting badly, call them out on it. I, I really feel strongly about that. And part of it is, I don't know, just my age of, you know, being in the profession for, you know, a long time is that life's too short, you know? I mean, it's beautiful outside today. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of things. I, I don't want to do something if I'm going to be miserable on it. And, you know, when, you know, if a client's, you know, or a new potential client calls me on the phone and within the first three questions is how much of the plan's going to cost me, th that's a good cue. And I'll go, you know what? I'm probably not the right person for you. And, you know, just, but, but again, if, or if, you know, an owner says, well, I want to do it this way, this way, and this way, and it's not right. You know, I'll, I will come back and say, you know what, not working, you know, not the right fit on it. You know, I, I, my, the favorite line I use is, I don't think I'm hearing, you know, I'm the right person that's going to hear you properly through it. But it's, it's just to say, you know what, you know, this is to weigh this to really work well. Here's how we propose to do it. And I think that that then, it, it spreads, you know, then the next person will hear about like, wow, my, my experience went really well because mm -hmm. I have this great team, but there was also just a way that I felt really empowered throughout mm -hmm. to do it. But I, I think, you know, I, I don't think any of us in any of the professions should put up with bad behavior, with yeah. crap from people. I'm sorry. It's just Amen. not worth yeah. it. But, yeah. trite, but it was, when you go to meetings, check your ego at the door. Yeah. Now, that's, that sounds obvious and simple and so on, but right. I suspect if any of us think about those projects that haven't gone as well, it may be that there's one person on the team who, who just held themselves as omnipotent, being sort of, these are my designs, or you know, I'm the builder, we're going to do it my way, or whatever it is, and when you don't have that honest collaboration, the project just isn't successful. Mm -hmm. it, it can't be. But I, I think it's, it's fit. Yeah, I think it is fit. And I think what it took me a lot of years to learn is not every project is a fit, and it's okay not to take a project. And I think, you know, I've you know learned the hard way, but oftentimes the projects that don't go well, it's it's just I'm not the right person for that project. And I think oftentimes you feel like you need to take these projects and. Oftentimes, I, you know, I come back and say, like, my intuition early on, I know I shouldn't be taking this. Yeah, you need to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think just from the magazine's point of view and from having kind of been working with people in the profession and observing for the past 11 years, 
I, I think this evolving, as you say, paradigm of kind of a more collaborative and more collegial structure is a really important development in our industry because most of the professions, you know, builders and interior designers and landscape people and architects have, at least were in the past and to some extent still are, educated to be kind of controlling and egotistical about it. And so there was almost a built-in conflict that we seem to be transcending here. Um, so I mean, if not to put myself on the panel, but to answer you, I mean, I, I would kind of have a plea for all of us working to further that and help some of your more recalcitrant colleagues and clients kind of understand that this is probably a more effective and more rewarding way, not only aesthetically, but for everybody involved. Um, so forgive me for butting in a little no, bit. No, uh, no, we no. did actually have one sorry, other, sorry, I'm just sorry. yeah, we're gonna have to. I think the interesting thing about what you're saying is that, you know, clients tend to talk, you know, talk about their horror stories like, oh, you know, I will never do another house project. It was like took three years and it was twice as much as budgeted. And, and so a lot of times that's the sensitivity of the client coming in feeling like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, raked over the coals on, on this project. So I think um, it's just trying to dissipate that and and explain that well on that project was the 
did you have this formula from the beginning? Because most of the projects that are you know, well over budget and well over timeline is that the team wasn't cohesively working together. So it's, it's almost, you know, would work in their favor to have the team for both of those reasons. Right, although I think another important point that's related to that, that goes back to, I, I think, I can't remember who said it now, but I think it was the, 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 the fit, basically. Mm -hmm. In a lot of those cases, I would argue that even though the house took much longer and went over budget, what the client ended up with was in fact the house they actually wanted. Mm -hmm. And they hadn't realized necessarily or known how to articulate what they wanted at the beginning of the process. And therefore, as it evolved and as ideas changed, and so oh, we, you know, we want to use that hardware, which costs eight times more than what we expect, but we're actually much happier with it in mm -hmm. the end. And so I, I think sometimes maybe helping them realize that they did in fact end up with their dream house right. that fits them outweighs the fact that it ended up taking longer and costing more than they originally thought. Kind of you know, that's where the good communication comes. You know, Paul, I was thinking while you're talking. <coughs> to, I think what, what happens is I think clients kind of enter into the process often from a, a perspective of fear. It's like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> and what is incumbent on us is, is really somewhat of a teacher role about not only the right process, but how it should be done. But also, we have to come up with ways that really empower the clients so they get the, because, you know, they come in and, you know, we show them these hieroglyphics, they're called floor plans, and, you know, I don't know what he's showing me, you know, kind of thing. So we have to do our damnedest to figure out ways to get across and be communicative in drawing form, in 3D form, in words, you know, this is where we're headed and what we're doing. And, and every step along the way, I think it's, it's really the basic communication is what it takes. And in a way, we're teachers. You know, we're going to explain this is, you know, the role that we see that's being done. But it's okay that you can't read a floor plan. I get that. You didn't go to, you know, design school. But you know, we're going to find ways to communicate so that you're empowered to be able to make those decisions and understand why we want, you know, to do something that may be more expensive, you know, than what you originally thought. And you may just push back and say you don't want that, and that's okay. But at least, you know, we're there communicating and, and pushing for an understanding. But I, I do think that's a lot of our role in every, not, not only residential, every field. Because people are coming in with more information, there are more wonderful magazines out, uh, there's television, there's all sorts of, you know, you know the, the, this old house things about, you know, what, what's involved in it. And, but they're still scared. It's still a point of fear. And we have to kind of dissipate that. So I think that's what we Right. Totally. Absolutely. We're all saying it so that eventually it does become, it's okay to pick on fit. Like they base it down, like Absolutely. you're on a target and making a decision on what's on the shelf is going to cost more or less. And it's like, right. whoa, whoa, whoa. You are talking about this enormous outlay cost, this enormous personal impact on your life. It's okay to make it based on what feels good. Right. Well, but, but the other point is that it may not matter. The owner may not care. 
I mean, as much as we say, you know, the good, this is like the right behavior. And, and then it's incumbent as to say, well, you know, that's not quite the environment I want to work in, you know, on it. But because there are people that, you know, just say, I don't care. You know, I, don't want, I want the cheapest. I want, you know. Yeah, I exactly. I, I know, I know. But, but we have to, I mean, we've, we, I was going to say, you're prepared for some pushback into what you're thinking about. True, in the higher end, they shouldn't. But, you know, I can't, I've had some high end people that have, have been not, they don't want to talk. They don't even want to come to the site until it's done. You know, and then they tell you, oh, you, I didn't know I was getting this, you know, that thing. So, you know, you have to, you know. Well, I, I would like to add that I think there's a level where uh, the, the people that are brought into the bidding process, if it's not a matter of fit, you can have a series of people that are on a, on a par of what they can offer. Right. And there can be <coughs> one other person that's offering a good product, but it's a very different animal. And the owner is used to a consuming a product, they're buying it at Target, whatever. They're not used to the process, and so they're measuring right. all the rest of us against right. this other benchmark, and it, it tilts the whole scale. It makes everybody right. get crooked, and then everything gets kind of screwed up. Uh, yeah. you know? Well, I think that's another educational opportunity in a way, to the extent that people will learn. Well, I just um, had a client just um, a couple weeks ago come to me and say, I really don't know if we need the architect on this project. Do you, do you really think we need it? Sort of the project's gotten a little watered down. It's a smaller project. And I just don't know, you know, what do you think about it? And I was like, I would never tell you not to keep the architect on the project because there's going to be value add, absolutely. And, and then part of the concern was, well, you know, the way I'm compensating them, I'm, having, I'm struggling with whether it's really worth it to have all these professionals on this size project. So I said, well, why don't you just talk to the architect about how he's compensated? Because I'm sure there is a solution, because I think there's going to be value from all of those people. And it ended up, the team stayed together. But you know, it's, I think, up to us to also be proponents of each other, because it helps all of us to have professionals on the project. And, you know, yeah. it's easy to say, no, you don't need the architect. I could do it all. I mean, we <laughs> you know? can, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I yeah. think that's why we're coming together like this. Right. We say we're all going to do that. You all matter way more to me than any single client, right? Right. So right. Yeah, and I mean, I think in a sense, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap this up a little bit for time reasons. I hope everybody will stay and talk a little bit more and eat. But uh, normally, I, I that really is the takeaway, I think, from tonight. Normally, I actually go through and ask each panelist what the takeaway is, but I think we've been talking about that for the past 10 minutes, yeah. uh, which is so everybody in this room is part of this process and has the joint ability and power to kind of help make the kinds of collaborations you would most like to be part of happen. Uh, both through educating your clients and both in educating your friends and colleagues in the business. Um, so I just, I think I would just like to thank Joe and Jeff and Jen and Jerry, very alliteratively. The Juz. Uh, the Juz. <laughs> um, and all of you. Um, and I hope we will all kind of leave here at the end of this uh, third season of the bad talks and kind of go out into the world and start proselytizing for these ideas. Yeah, yeah, right. Little Hare Krishna thing going on here. So thank you everybody. Uh, I hope you will join us next fall. I hope in the meantime you will send us ideas for talks that you would like to see happen. 
uh, if there were ideas that came to you tonight while you were listening to this. Um, don't, you know, get in touch with us and let us know. Thanks again to our wonderful panel and to all of you. And uh, have some more stuff and then go out and have a lovely summer. <laughs>